coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. We're now uh, 72 hours into this new war with our Palestinian neighbors in Gaza. And as we talk about this, there's actually several other things going on. Riots inside Israeli, Arab, Jewish communities, Jewish violence against Arabs, Arab violence against Jews. Welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we have a very special episode, Rocket War in Israel. As many of you know right now, Israel is in a uh, state, as we record this, of being bombarded with rockets from Gaza. There's tension, there's violence, and I'm really pleased today, in the midst of all of that, to be joined by our founder at the Joshua Fund and host with me on this podcast, Joel Rosenberg. Joel, welcome. Uh, thanks for your ability to speak into this. And um, first of all, how are you doing? How's it going? Well, Carl, great to be with you and, and all of our listeners. I'm so encouraged by how many people are, are finding this podcast helpful. That's just yeah. super encouraging. I and mean, we would be happy to chat with each other if nobody was listening. But it's also nice if it's feeding people, encouraging people, educating people, even people who disagree with us. That's fine. Yeah. Look, uh, Carl, it, it has been a rough, rough few days. As you and I record this, and again, people may be listening to this weeks or months or, or years later, but, but what is it like to live in the midst of a bombardment akin to uh, the rocket war and bombardment against London during World War II. Like, mm. it, so, so just to give a context, we're now uh, 72 hours into this new war with our Palestinian neighbors in Gaza. And as we talk about this, there's actually several other things going on. Riots inside Israeli, Arab, Jewish communities, Jewish violence against Arabs, Arab violence against Jews. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, uh, riots on the Temple Mount. I did an article for All Israel News the other day. Uh, riots, rockets, and rage. And they're connected, but they're also individual categories. So we're 72 hours into the actual rocket war. And more than 1,500, 1,500 wow. rockets fired at Israel from uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, that is just an extraordinary number. Uh, Lynn and I and our four sons arrived in Israel as new citizens in August of 2014. I want to say that because I want to give you guys some context. When we arrived on August 15th, 2014, Israel was in the early weeks of a seven-week rocket war. Okay, mm-hmm. In that seven weeks... Palestinian terrorists, not the Palestinian people, but the terrorist regime that runs Gaza, known as Hamas, and there's several others, Islamic Jihad and Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, and there's Mm -hmm. a few others. But they fired in seven weeks 4,534 rockets. I think that's the number. 4,500 rockets in seven weeks. Seven weeks. We had 1,500 in three days. Wow. So we had... One out of every three rockets that was fired over seven weeks, seven wow. years ago, 
have been fired at us already. And it is wow. not stopping. As you and I are mm-hmm. recording this, I have an app called Red Alert on my phone. Uh, people can download it for free. You can program it if you're in an individual town or a village or community in Israel. And you can just say, if there's a rocket coming at my town, then I right. need my alert to go off. This is linked into the Israeli national security system. And we have drones and other radar watching. So that the moment a rocket takes off out of Gaza, right. that instant, an alert is sent, obviously, into the Israel's national rocket defense system. Mm-hmm. I we might want that to talk about know. that, how that's yeah. saving lives. But yeah. it's also sent immediately to this alert system. Because the algorithms of the Israeli defense system figures out instantaneously where the trajectory is going. Amazing. And and it knows what town or set of towns it's heading towards. And so the alert goes out almost instantaneously. Now, most people set it for their community or maybe two or three around them. I set it for the whole country because it's also an opportunity to know when to pray and when to know what's happening and since we run a news service also, we know what's mm-hmm. happening anymore. But this thing is going off nonstop. I mean, wow. you, I have to turn the sound off on my phone because I, me, 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 me. You cannot it's think. Constant. You cannot function. And that's wow. just being in an apartment that's not currently under attack. If wow. you live within range of that rocket, you get what's called a, a, a code red or a seva adom in Hebrew. Yeah. And you have, depending on where you live, between 15 and maybe 45 seconds, maybe a minute, to get to a bomb shelter wow. uh, in the basement of your apartment. Very few people have wow. single homes. So that is a terrifying life, especially when you finish and you get the all clear signal and you go back, you take your little children, or whatever ages, your, your grandparents, your elderly, you're trying to get back to your apartment and the thing goes off again and you've got 15 seconds to get back. Yeah. It's no yeah. way to live. It, uh, was, it's true that our casualties are low because of Iron Dome, but the stress level is high and uh, people are having heart attacks and, and strokes and post-traumatic stress. It's a horrible way to live. I was speaking with one of our staff whom you know well, and he uh, was telling me just yesterday, actually, that they had spent the night back and forth from their shelter uh, in Israel there. And maybe give our listeners a little of the geography of where are these attacks taking place? Is, I mean, you had mentioned a little bit of the volume of the, the numbers, which are staggering, but where is this all taking place? You're in Jerusalem, right? I'm in Jerusalem. That's the capital, and it's roughly the center east of the country. Then if you go due west and up north a little bit, you would get to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is located on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem is the the largest city. It's not just our capital, but it's the largest population center in Israel. And you can imagine the history, the religion, the significance of Jerusalem. A lot of people want to live here. But Tel Aviv is our commercial and financial capital. It's our entertainment Mm. Uh, capital, uh, and it's the second largest city. So that's roughly east to west, roughly. And then Gaza is to our south, and it's located on the shore of the Mediterranean. So mm-hmm. if you think of Israel as about the size of the state that you grew up in, New Jersey, 
and the state that my wife grew up in, New we Jersey. We always used to call New Jersey the Holy Land anyway, but that's... that's well, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> if you think of it as New Jersey, Delaware is attacking us. Ah. Basically from our south, maybe northern Maryland. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that's, but basically, uh, it's, a, it's a very tiny strip of land. And what's interesting is you hear a lot of... Uh, attacks against us in the media and in social media that Israel is the occupier of Gaza. Actually, we're not. Uh, in 2005, Israel evacuated from Gaza. There's not a single soldier there. There's not a single uh, Israeli citizen that lives in the Gaza Strip. It's been completely given back to the Palestinians. Unfortunately, it was taken over by this terrorist regime, mm-hmm. uh, which we can talk about in more detail in a moment. But Getting back to the geography, so what happens is the terrorists in Gaza are positioning their rocket launchers in schools, in mosques, hmm. in uh, factories, in um, wow. businesses, in, in civilian population centers. Why? To create uh, human shields by yeah. which it makes we it remember more that difficult. from Saddam. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you if you put a bunch of women, children, and men around you that have nothing to do with the war, then maybe Israel can't fight back. So the rockets are coming from there. Now, these do not have guidance systems. Mm-hmm. They're not really missiles. They're still known as rockets, but they're bigger than they were in the last war. They're more powerful than the last war, and they have longer ranges. But they're unguided, okay? They're not precision-guided. They're not smart bombs, as we would mm-hmm. say in the modern mm-hmm. context. So what happens? You're basically taking like a, a bottle rocket or you know, a rocket kit you might do, you know, build with your kids, and you just sort of aim it in a direction, and it takes right. off. Right. Now, Except it's... Yeah, well, it's, it's deadly. It's explosive. Right? Yeah, deadly. Right. <laughs> exactly. But one out of three rockets that have been fired in this round mm-hmm. don't make it out of Gaza. They are landing on the Palestinian people of Gaza. Okay. Oh. So this terrorist regime that is wow. holding the Palestinian people hostage, they're slaves. They have nowhere to go. Hmm. They, and they are living under this, uh, in, I would say, the most evil regime on the planet right now. Yeah. They have nowhere to go. And, and one out of three rockets aimed for Israel are landing on them. Now, hmm. when they get out, where are the communities that are most likely to be hit? They're the ones that are closest just because of the build of these rockets. But... Seven of the rockets have reached all the way or near almost all the way to Jerusalem. I was in the backyard with my family when the sirens went off on day one. Wow. And we were shocked. We, it took us a moment to think, is that a test? Is this some holiday that we weren't thinking of? We didn't know this was coming. I and mean, we knew there was trouble brewing. But to hear a rocket sign in Jerusalem hasn't happened since 2014. So wow. uh, we've only lived here in the capital for about three years, and we've never heard it. We've heard the sirens on Holocaust Memorial Day or Memorial Day for our soldiers that have fallen. And it took us a moment to go, is that real? Is that real? And then we heard a boom, and we felt this boom. And then we knew it was real. A house not that far from us uh, in a community, again, not that far, uh, was hit directly. So now the main centers that are being hit right now are Tel Aviv. And, And Tel Aviv has rarely been hit ever and it is being hit hard and the communities around the the neighborhoods and and suburbs 
uh, around Tel Aviv. And that is where the bulk of the intelligentsia of the country live. This is where mm. the newscasters live. This is where the, the business leaders live. And mm. it is, you could feel on Tuesday night when they started attacking Tel Aviv and its mm-hmm. environs, you could feel the, the mood, the psychology of the country shift. And this is probably wrong on our part. We've all become used to rockets in the south, rockets in some of the the neighboring uh, communities just around Gaza, where the Joshua Fund, by the way, has been providing humanitarian relief and and, and ministering to people for years. Yeah. Because they're impoverished, who's going to build a factory next to Gaza? Who's going to build a a business? How, How do you get a job? Nobody wants yeah. to live there. So if you're poor, you live there. If you have no money to get out, you live there. Or if you're fiercely dedicated to wanting to be on the frontier to protect the country, then you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the communities that get hit the hardest. And the rest of the country has become, I don't want to say numb. We've become used to, oh, that's bad. We should pray for them. That's, you know, we should help them. But we don't think of it as happening to us. It's not immediately it's in front of them. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, on a daily basis. No, you know, that, it's not. That sort it's of violence. Right. But Tel so Aviv when, being hit is... That's right. So now you have journalists and business leaders and just people, in, you know, again, in, in the, the business and professional classes, uh, if you will, and they're tweeting out and doing interviews in their bomb shoulders with their children. They're not used to that. Yeah. And so it's changed. You could feel on Tuesday night a psychological shift that... This is not the worst that we've done in the past. This is different. And this is going to go on for some time. Now, maybe by the time people listen to this, Lord willing, it's over, right? We're asking Christians all over the planet to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, and we mean it. But also the peace of Tel Aviv, the peace of Shtarot, the town right on the border with Gaza, right. the, the entire country, and peace for Gaza, I'm praying for liberation of Gaza, not from Israel, because we're not there, but from Hamas and these terrorists. But hopefully the Lord will have answered those prayers in the affirmative by the time people are listening to this. But it's possible that it's not. And we are preparing right now. Israel's preparing for a ground invasion of Gaza, moving Mm -hmm. battle tanks to the borders, mobilizing combat units. Nobody wants to go into Gaza. It's a hornet's nest. Mm. What do you do when you... If you liberate it, then what? Who's in charge? Are we reoccupying it? Lots of questions, moral, strategic, tactical. We are all praying we don't have to do it. But we cannot live this way. And so uh, uh, while people are listening to this, uh, it could be weeks later and it it could still be active. Uh, We hope not. Well, Joel, I'm sure we'll get to other aspects of, of what's happening right now, especially what's happening with our partners and you know, what is some of the long-term implications for this kind of violence? But take us back a little bit, just really briefly, what sparked all this recent violence? Why now? Yeah. So there's a, there's a convergence of factors. I'll mention them really quickly first, and then I'll just try to give you a, a brief explanation of each of them. First is that um, Hamas has been looking for a moment, uh, spoiling for a fight. And I'll explain why in a moment. Secondly, it's the end of the month-long period of the highest holy days within the religion of Islam. This is known as Ramadan. And for daylight hours, a devout Muslim is not allowed to eat or drink, not even water. 
until the sun goes down and it's dark and then you, and then people feast. So if you're a young man whose metabolism is, is raging, not to mention other hormones, and you can't eat and you can't drink and you have other grievances and it's hot, this can be a, a cocktail uh, yeah. for, for trouble. Third, there was a, a land dispute, a real estate dispute, really, in East Jerusalem that's been cooking for, I mean, honestly, for over 70 years. But it came to a head in recent months in, in a small community known as Sheikh Jarrah. It's an East Jerusalem neighborhood. Long story short, very short, it's a land dispute. The Jews once owned it before 48. Then the Arabs you know, invaded us. And then the Arabs took it over. And then Israel liberated Jerusalem in 67, and we took it back over. But we let the Arab people live in the houses and stuff. They didn't own them, but they could pay the rent. They didn't really pay the rent. And then the people who own this finally said, you know what? We didn't really need the rent, but now we're selling it. Hmm. And then the new owners were like, okay, well, we would like to build new things, and we want, you know, we got actual rent. And so, anyway, it's being litigated in the courts, but the Arabs were losing their arguments. It hadn't gotten to the Supreme Court yet, but Hamas and the other terrorists used this as a moment to say, see, the Jews are expelling us from Arab homes. And the last one of many, but the last major one was that uh, there were supposed to be Palestinian elections starting this month in May and, and over, they would happen in a series of elections over the course of the summer. Yeah. But at the last minute, Palestinian Authority uh, President Mahmoud Abbas canceled the elections. He said because the, Israel wouldn't let uh, Palestinians in East Jerusalem vote because we consider them our citizens. He considers them his citizens. <laughs> but the real reason we all know that Abbas didn't want to hold elections was, was really because he's afraid Hamas, the terrorist organization that controls Gaza, is going to win the West Bank. Interesting. And we don't want that either. Yeah. So we didn't have a big fuss about it, but he canceled it. This is not just about Israel. They're not going to win the war with us. They can't. But what do they want? What does Hamas want? What they want is to prove that they're the tough guys. They're the true defenders of the real faith. They're the true defenders of the Palestinian people. Israel's evil and, and the Palestinian Authority, run by Mahmoud Abbas and his team, they're weak. They're feckless. They don't get it. They don't care. They're corrupt. You need us. This is an election campaign we're watching. Interesting. We fight on the, on social media and on television ads in, in the Israeli elections, and they fight with rockets, missiles, and bombs. So it's sure. a bad situation. And Yeah, um, that's a volatile mix yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that, is, well, my friend, is the short version. Yeah. <laughs> well, know, uh, you, we have you've heard some amazing stories from even these recent days. And um, I know we have to take a quick break right now, but I want to get back and I, I want you to tell us some of the stories that you just were telling us earlier about what God is doing and, and how things are, are transpiring there. This is Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. Scripture tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Would you take a moment right now to pray for our staff at the Joshua Fund as they work to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus? 
We're in a battle against the evil one, and your prayers make all the difference. Joel, I know that so many things are happening right now. It's hard to kind of discern things out of the fog of of war, if you will. But you've heard from some of our partners and some of our friends some remarkable stories, both of the panic and the terror, but also of the provision and the protection of God in this. Can you just share a couple of the stories that you've been hearing? Yeah. um, One of the most interesting ones to me was that uh, uh, one of the professors that teaches at Israel's main Bible college, Israel College of the Bible, uh, where my wife, Lynn, is uh, an, an associate uh, professor there uh, in the Women's um, Leadership Training Development Program. But the, one of the professors there who's uh, from a Russian background, and he uh, and his family are from Russia, and he teaches um, students in Russian theology, Bible, and so forth. Well, their apartment, um, I believe it was in Ashkelon, uh, one of the cities south of Tel Aviv, north of Gaza Strip, right up along the Mediterranean shore, okay, they received a direct hit from one of these rockets. And I would just add, I was telling you that you know these rockets aren't, aren't don't have uh, you know guidance systems, but one of the things that's happening is that this round of the war, the terrorists are lowering the trajectory. Uh, so it, the rockets don't go up, some of them don't go up as high. This allows them to get to their targets faster, and and they're hoping, of course, that the Iron Dome anti-rocket system doesn't have time to shoot them down. That's what happened in this case. This thing came slicing across the rooftops and slammed into the apartment building where this professor and his wife and family live. Now, what was really miraculous, he, he counts it as miraculous, as a uh, moment just moments before that happened, and of course they're hearing the sirens and everything, he was in his uh, home like bedroom slash office and decided to just step out of that for a few minutes, and he headed into a different room. No particular sense of doom or anything, Just he just did. And moments later, the rocket slammed into an apartment building, I think it was two floors above them, shattered out all the glass in the entire apartment building, including their own, shaking, everything's falling. If he had been in that room, he would have been severely, severely wounded. And uh, as it happened, where he and his wife were in the apartment at that split second, uh, they were not uh, wounded. Tragically, one of the people that lived in the apartment that was directly hit died. Uh, Their spouse is severely wounded and is in the hospital. So on the one hand, you, 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 as believers, we, we're certainly grateful when God, the God of Israel, shows his protection of us, right? He doesn't owe that to us. We, he already has protected us by saving us. We know when we die where we're going. We're going to heaven to be with him because he's offered to adopt us, and we've said yes, right? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's, one of the, it's the number one blessing of the many that we get, which is insurance. <laughs> We're going to heaven. We don't have to worry about dying. We don't want to die. The Bible says choose life, right? You're not supposed to look to, you know, or be happy about dying, but but if we do, okay, we're we're safe for eternity. So they were fine and they knew that, but if you don't know Christ, this type of terror, you don't know how to appeal to the God of Israel. You don't know how to appeal for that peace that passes understanding. That's something that's promised by Jesus 
and, and the Apostle Paul and all, to believers, right? And people who are outside the kingdom of Christ, you know, they can certainly ask God for help, and he may or may not give it to them at any given moment, but there's an assurance of comfort. There's an assurance of peace, peace that doesn't seem to make sense, an internal peace, not the peace of the, the, the world. Jesus says, my peace I give you, not the peace of the world. You're going to face trouble and trials and tribulations in this world, but in me you have peace, my peace. I give you this peace. That's one of the great things, and this is what this family was experiencing. Now, they have so many friends at the Bible College and other believing you know, in, in their congregation that they had many people saying, come, you know, stay with us. We'll, we'll take care of you as long as you need. But many of the people in their apartment building didn't have anyone else to go to. Right? You may have friends, but they that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to take you in. Right. So these guys decided that the Lord wanted them to stay there and just show solidarity and friendship and kindness to everyone else in their building, just as a loving gesture to love their neighbors. And anyway, uh, we wrote about the the, the story. Uh, Lynn started hearing it because she's in the college, and I first was praying, and then I sent a note, and I said, look, if you don't want to talk about it, I get it, but would you be willing to share your story? And he said yes, and we did a story for All Israel News, and now that story has been moving all over Israel and all over the world as just an example because you would think if there was any chance to get out of the line of fire, that you would. But just to wrap that up, I, you know, I, I think of that family a little bit like a U.S. Secret Service agent. That's my context, right? Tim McCarthy was the famous Secret Service agent that was uh, protecting President Ronald Reagan in 1981 when shots began to be fired at the Washington Hilton Hotel. And if you watch the video of that horrific and dramatic moment, Secret Service Agent McCarthy hears the shots. Now, what does anyone instinctively do? You duck. But a Secret Service agent is trained to put his body in front of his protectee, in this case, the President of the United States. And he, you, you watch him open up his arms and take a bullet in the stomach. And that bullet was intended for Ronald Reagan and would have killed him if it hit him. So, in a sense, this idea of we know we're in the line of fire, but we want to be with our people. We want to stand with them, you know, not, not just metaphorically. We say stand with Israel. These people are literally standing with, encouraging, comforting people in the name of Jesus. Love those guys. I don't know them personally. Lynn does. These stories are being multiplied all throughout the country. It's remarkable. And when you when you make that comparison to the Secret Service, you realize that there are sacrifices being made and people being unintentional heroes, <laughs> people who are risking uh, much of their own safety and security to to be there for others and to comfort others. So this one, you, the team doesn't know yet because I just heard it before coming on this podcast uh, recording with you. One of Noah's uh, friends from his youth group, uh, one of the parents of that friend sent us an audio recording, forwarded an, an audio recording from one of their friends whose son is in the Israeli military, okay, who was deployed on the border. He's, he's in a mortar artillery unit, and he is fighting the terrorists in Gaza right on the border. This young man is a believer in Jesus, the Messiah. Um, he's, of course, an Israeli citizen. He's, of course, a servant in the military. 
Well, you know, missiles are dropping rockets all over near them, but there was one coming in right really close, and they got the alert, and they had, like, you know, less than 15 seconds. You're that close to the border. And he told everyone, get down, get down, get cover. You know, it's coming. The atheist commander of his unit raced to his side and decided to drop down in the dust next to him. Because when he said, um, this young soldier, believer, shouted in Hebrew, our God will protect us. And this atheist commander, who's only a few years older than the, than the soldier, came running and wanted to be in the dust next to him because he figured God's going to be with this guy. Like, I don't even believe in God. But if there is a God, he's with this guy. And I want to be next to him because hopefully we'll make it. Like, that is... like. These are just anecdotes, but they, they, they give a picture of what it's like to be a believer in the army here. You know, and people say, oh, we're, we're an oppressor, we're an occupier. We're... These are young men and women. Now, my own sons, two of them, have served, and they love Jesus, the ones who love Jesus. And they're not out there trying to be missionaries. They're just doing their job. Doing people their know they're different. Mm. And um, in a moment well, of crisis, <laughs> that difference matters. Yes. It reminds me of that old uh, World War II story of there's no atheists in foxholes. When the push comes to shove, when the situation happens and, and lives are on the line, it's remarkable that there are those that are making the statements about God that your son's friend did. And that's a witness. That's a witness for Jesus. I was reading also, Joel, another article, and this was confirmed by some of the conversations I had this week with some of our partners in the area, that there's something different about this conflict at this stage. And maybe this can take us to a wider perspective a little bit, that this isn't just about Hamas lobbing rockets. This has something to do with what's happening internally in Israel right now. And, and maybe that's even more troubling in the long run. So can maybe speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Carl. I mean, not happy, but I will. It's bad enough in any society when you face a foreign enemy, okay? Our country, as you know, most of our listeners would know, is deeply divided politically. We've had four rounds of elections in two years. We still don't have a prime minister, as you and I speak. It's almost a 50-50 split between you know the right and the – well, anyway, politically. But war from an outside enemy unifies a country, right? Suddenly – Politicians who can't stand each other and are at each other's throats are all working together against the common threat. And so we've seen that. However, Carl, I got to tell you, with deep sadness in my heart, something wicked has been unleashed in the Israeli culture. Something wicked, something evil. What we're watching are bands of Jewish extremists street thugs. I would actually create the analogy of czarist soldiers back in Russia where my family escaped from the pogroms, where Jews were being beaten and, and, and uh, you know, killed and raped and their houses burned and possessions stolen, or, or to Nazi brown shirts. Yeah. But Jewish extremists true. are on the streets hmm. and they are attacking Arabs. Uh, we, we are watching video on television. We're watching social media video of Arabs in their cars being chased, blocked, dragged out of their car and beaten. Mm. Now, that would be horrible enough, but it's happening on the other side. Arab young people 
are going crazy and it's not in response. They're both doing it simultaneously. I don't think there's any way to say those guys started it. People are right. coming out of the woodwork and they are burning synagogues. They're burning cars. They're attacking Jews. They're burning Torah scrolls. This is like Kristallnacht. In fact, mm. the mayor of Lod, L-O-D, that's the closest city to the airport, that uh, the Ben-Gurion International Airport in Tel Aviv, just outside of Tel Aviv, where everyone flies in. It used to be called the Lod Airport. Well, the mayor of that city said, we are, we are facing civil war, and we are, we've, we're experiencing Kristallnacht. What was Kristallnacht? That was the night... Before the Holocaust actually began, this was the night where Nazi sympathizers and these brown shirt thugs decided to destroy synagogues, attack Jews, and break windows. And it's called the night of broken glass. That's where Kristallnacht comes from. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, this is a Jewish mayor saying this, and he's not saying just about the Arabs. It's also about the Jews. So... Uh, Israel is deploying massive numbers of police and and what's known as border patrol, special commando units to more of these communities. But something ugly is happening. And and but for the grace of God, I don't know how do you, how do you put that genie back in the bottle? How do you stop those wicked spirits whose intent we know spiritually, we know scripturally, they've come to rob, kill, and destroy, and that's happening simultaneous with the riots up on the Temple Mount, with the rockets from Gaza. Like, it's a multi-front war here. And Mm -hmm. this one will have deeper and longer implications for our society. Um, And and it comes, I'll just want to add one more thing, that in these all these elections, there's been a stirring in the Arab community in Israel, the Israeli Arabs who are citizens of Israel. There's been a stirring, a split, but a stirring where a growing number of Israeli Arabs say, we need to be involved in the political system. We need to help form a government. We we need more money for our schools. We need more police on our streets. We need more services. And if we're always opposed to the government in Israel, if we're always in the opposition, how can we make a difference for ourselves? Like that's mm-hmm. part of politics, right? It's sort of getting in power and trying to fight that some of the piece of the pie is yours and, and for your people. That was just starting to happen. And now this, and I don't know, I'm not going to even predict how this plays out, but it's ugly. It's ugly. And we need prayer. Uh, When we say pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I want you to understand it's not just foreign enemies. Now we have internal enemies, multiple fronts. And it's, I don't have, you know, outside of Christ, I I don't, I don't know how you handle it. Except I think try to establish law and order, but it's we're, we're experiencing Portland, we're experiencing Seattle, we're experiencing Minneapolis, this, we're experiencing New York, Washington. This is what's happening now in Israel, and we were watching it from afar uh, throughout the fall and winter, and now uh, it's come here. One of the things I think is so important for our listeners to understand is I'm very grateful that you bring in the spiritual component to a situation like this because it's it's way too easy in the grand scheme of all the other media out there and all the other pundits talking about what's happening to just reduce it to either, you know, social or economic or even religious, um, external religious uh, sources. But I think you put your finger on something that is absolutely important. And one of the unique things about the message that we have at the Joshua Fund and that you help us uh, articulate, which is these events are not just political or economic. These events are at their core spiritual this is the epicenter 
of spiritual forces in the world. Jerusalem, Israel, we know this. What would you say to someone who would look at the situations happening here and, and, and maybe just say, what is some of the hope or what is some of the way in which we as Christians, as evangelicals, can approach these questions right now? Yeah. Well, that is, the, I think, the key question, Carl, and, I, and I, it, it's a good time to ask it. I think the key here is to zoom way out. We need, it's almost like we have to you know, use Google Earth and, and come up way above the nation of Israel for a moment and go, look at the pattern of what's happening. We had a year of COVID, okay? We had more deaths from the coronavirus here in Israel than of all the wars and all the acts of terror in the last 25 years. Okay, so that's been bad. And with that, the economic devastation of, you know, 70,000 plus businesses going bankrupt, people being out of work, domestic abuse, people who weren't nice to each other before being cooped up 24 hours a day with each other, husbands to their wives, husbands to their children, vice versa. But domestic abuse is off the charts, sexual abuse is off the charts. It's been bad at every level. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's one set of problems. Then you have this wicked, uh, you know, near civil war, anarchy, insurrection going on, not against each other politically, but against each other religiously and ethnically. And then you have the war from Gaza. And then you have, you know, the, the Temple Mount riots, which we haven't gotten into, but um, that's a related issue where we're more than, as you say, more than 700 people on the West Bank were injured uh, from huge, horrible riots on the Temple Mount, what Muslims call the Haram al-Sharif. This is where the famous Golden Dome of the Rock is located. This is where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is located. This is the third holiest site in all of Islam. First is Mecca, then Medina, then what they call Haram al-Sharif which is what we call the Temple Mount, because that's where the first and second temples were. That's where Jesus uh, was. That's where Solomon, David, you know, the whole story. When you look at all of that, you say, Lord, why? Well, why are you? You're sovereign, okay? Biblically, we know you're the God of Israel. You're, you're the king of the universe. We say uh, every Shabbat, every uh, Friday night when we sit down for dinner with our families, we say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, and then... Blessed art thou, O Lord, king of the universe. And then, you know, who gives us the fruit of the vine or the fruit of the earth with with bread. Mm. You're the king of the universe. You're sovereign. You can do anything. Why are you letting this happen? Now, I don't mean for blame, but if we ask from a healthy biblical perspective, we want to know why. And I think the answer is very simple. God is shaking Israel and her neighbors. Mm. He is allowing... He's not causing, but God is allowing the forces of evil to devastate, to shake, to harm, to create fear and and doubt and anxiety. And in Jews, in Muslims, in Christians who don't know the Lord, maybe they're from a background where they don't know how to have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. They're Christians in name. They may even be somewhat religious, but they don't know the peace that passes all understanding. They don't have that personal relationship. Or even believers who who do have that relationship but are wandering or drifting or are young or weak or whatever. God is shaking all of us. 
Yeah. And he's doing that in order that we ask fundamental questions. We see this in the Psalms. David saying, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? Like, I, I've got serious threats against me personally and against my country. I'm looking up at these mountains, but what I'm really doing is look, going, who can help me? Yeah. What, is there a force on the planet or off the planet that can help me? Where did my peace come from? When we say hello to each other in Israel, we say shalom. When we say goodbye to each other, we say shalom. There is no word for hello. There is no word really for goodbye. It's peace. peace. We're granting each other peace. Why? Because we live in an area that doesn't have any, <laughs> as we can see. And God is saying, where are you going to find peace? Go ahead. You know, is your oh, I didn't add the political system. Super divided, super caustic, super uh, controversial, corruption, the worst type of carnality of, oh, it's just ugly. People saying, can your worldly leaders, are they, are they handling things? Are they giving you peace? Are they giving you security? Are they giving you wise leadership? Are you safe from, you've got an Iron Dome system. Wonderful. Do you, are you safe from terror? Mm. Are you safe from each other? When you die, do you know where you're going to heaven? Like, what does God want? He wants to prompt those questions in us. Because what he's trying to do is not give us geopolitical peace first. Eventually that will come when the Messiah comes. But now that's not what he's looking for. When we say the Prince of Peace, what he is, he is allowing the forces of evil and nature to harm us, mm -hmm. to shake us, to rattle mm -hmm. us, so that we will give up anything, any ideology, any person, any whatever, any religion even, that we think this, is, this will give us hope, this will give us a, a, a safe present and a safe eternity. And God's saying... Does it? Yeah. And he's shaking people. And many, many in, in the Jewish world, in the Muslim world, actually in the Christian world too, are turning to those questions. That's the, you can't get an answer until you have the question. Yeah. Right? And throughout yeah. the Bible, Jesus gives a lot of clear answers. But often he's the one asking questions. And even when someone asks him a question, he will often ask them a question because what he's trying to do is stir their thinking. A question properly framed is a question half solved. Yeah, it's its own right? answer. And That's so right. if somebody's asking the right questions about their personal life and their eternity, mm -hmm. it's going to start them down a road where they might have ears to hear mm -hmm. and a heart to receive the good news, the gospel. God has it in his hands. And yes. he wants to adopt you into his family, and he can forgive you of your sins and protect you in a world that cannot. Yes. In so many ways, it reminds me of a, a practical application of that story of the atheist commander coming alongside the one who believes in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the shaking. We believe and we trust that God will be bringing people to himself. And, you know, by all means necessary, if, if it has to come to that, we ask God to bring people into a true relationship, a peace with him, and then, you know, bring peace. We, we recognize that this is a confusing time and many people may be listening to this and the circumstances may have even progressed or, or changed dramatically as they listen to this podcast. But, Joel, I, I want to thank you. We have much more to talk about on these things. We have so many more avenues to, to pursue. I look forward to, you know, speaking uh, more about this with you soon. But I want to thank everyone for listening to our time. And Joel, thank you for, 
for being with us. Appreciate it. Uh, my so pleasure, Carl. I appreciate the questions. And I also want to thank everybody that's, that's praying for us and for our neighbors, praying, uh, as well as financially giving to the Joshua Fund, uh, because we are doing humanitarian relief in a nation that, uh, you know, people are suffering, you know, and, and unemployment's higher than it's been in a long time, right? We're, our economy's starting to come back, but the war now has thrown a, a monkey wrench and all that. And, and then there's just widows and, and orphans and, and, and needy people, emotionally needy, spiritually needy, physically needy, financially. And then there's the churches who need to be strengthened, encouraged, trained, pastors deployed so that they can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this land. And, and that's what the Joshua Fund does. We invest in people. We invest in the mm-hmm. church, for sure. We invest in the lives of people unconditionally. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus for us to love you and, and invest in you. But the followers of Jesus have to show the love of Jesus. And, um, and, and in a moment like this, it's more important than ever. And uh, with COVID, war, political instability, insurrection, riots, oh my gosh, um, the, the, the light for and such the love a time. of Jesus is, yeah, is the hope. And I'm grateful for everybody that stands with us and helps us. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. Yeah, for such a time as this. Thank you, Joel. And thank you, listeners to this podcast. We are grateful for you, for your support, for your prayers. To learn about how God's moving in the epicenter, through the Joshua Fund, you can head over to thejoshuafund.com, sign up for our e-newsletter, you can get our emails, you can obviously make a contribution, and hear some of the stories of life change that's going on in the Middle East and in the epicenter. And I just want to also let you all know that if you want to check out our show notes on any of the apps that you're listening to this podcast on, you can find them in the app. Uh, and uh, they'll give you all the insight into the various articles or various other things that we've mentioned during the course of our podcast. So, Yeah, I love uh, that new feature. That's great. Yes. Uh, once again, on behalf of Joel Rosenberg and Inside the Epicenter, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.